We're in the book of Mark. We are on chapter 9. Um, we're going to pick off really where Steve left off last week. Um, I'm going to just start, actually just probably read through from there, and then we'll, we'll come to, uh, we'll come to uh, just some thoughts on that. So the, the transfiguration is entitled. We are, let's start in verse, verse 2. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and they led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, For he did not know what he was saying, for they were terrified. And a loud cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the clouds, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept these matters to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and now it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. We'll come back in there in a second just to pick up just some thoughts from that little section. First of all, you know, I can remember the first time that I went to Alton Towers. Just amazing, just blown away by it. Really, have you been, anybody been to Alton Towers? Yeah, good, enjoyable. The first thing you go on is the monorail. Even that's pretty exciting, I thought. And I'm going along this monorail. You can see from a very safe distance. You can just look over this entire park, and it's it's it's. In fact, if it, to be honest with you, when I first went on it, I thought, you know what? People had told me how scary these rides were. I thought, what's the fuss about? Seems fairly safe to me. Then, of course, you get off the monorail and you go into the main body of the park and you come across rides like Nemesis or Oblivion. And they are terrifyingly brilliant. <laughs> Truth is, you could spend your entire time on the monorail and just go round and round and you could go home and tell your friends you'd been to Alton Towers, you'd seen Alton Towers. Truth is, you haven't really lived it because you've missed on just the whole adrenaline rush, all the fun and all the excitement. And for the disciples, they are quickly learning that time with Jesus is nothing like the monorail and everything like a roller coaster ride. 
So far, the disciples have seen flashes of Jesus' power through his miracles, through his teaching, through his healings. But actually, day to day with Jesus, pretty ordinary, really. They eat, they talk, they just walk together, just spending time together with this, what appears to be, I guess, a fairly relatively ordinary man. And then at the beginning of chapter 9, as Steve spoke about last week, Peter, James, and John, they get a glimpse of Jesus in all his power, in all his glory, and they are terrified. They're terrified. And then Moses and Elijah appears. And that's enough to freak anybody out. They've been dead for hundreds of years. And there they are. And they sum up. They represent all of the Old Testament. And the implication, I guess, is pretty clear because... They have come, they are pointing, they are fulfilling, Jesus Christ has come to fulfill everything that the Old Testament, everything from the Jewish religion, all of it is pointing in one direction towards one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, as if more proof was needed, God speaks from heaven. Perhaps reminiscent of that of Mark chapter 1, after Jesus' baptism, remember, the Holy Spirit comes down and God speaks and the heavens are torn apart and says, this is my son, the one that I love, the one I am pleased with. And once again, God affirms his love and his approval of his beloved son for all he has done, for all he will do. For all he is. And then God speaks to the disciples and he calls them to listen to the words of Jesus. Now, the simplicity of that command could so easily be overlooked. It's, it's, hardly, it's hardly even worth mentioning, really. Surely God could have said to them and told them that that you must worship him or you must serve him or, 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 or just give your life for him. But no, listen to him. And all these other things must follow after this key thing that we listen very carefully, precisely to what Jesus has got to say about himself. There are many stuff goes on. People have got lots to say about God and about Jesus. Just turn on your TVs, turn on, just look on the internet, perhaps even just listen to, to preachers of all different places. And, and people have got a view on things. But there is one person that we must take note of. There's only one person we must listen to, and that is the words of Jesus Christ. Because he has the words of life. He's the word of life. And Jesus, Jesus is talking about his suffering. 
He talks about the cross. He says, that's where I'm going. I'm I'm, I'm on the way to the cross. He talks about the resurrection here. He says, I'm going to rise again from the dead. And he wants us to understand that we come, we, we are saved through his death. We find life through his death. Eternal life for those who believe, who surrender their lives over to him. And listen to me. You must come through the cross. There is no other way to God except through the cross of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has paid the penalty for our sins. He has bought our forgiveness. That is the only way to God is through Jesus Christ and through the cross. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. In fact, you take up your cross and follow me. So often it's through suffering that leads to glory. It is through discipleship that leads to a closer relationship with God. It is through obedience to Jesus that will lead to joy. Peter, James, and John... They loved up on the mountain. Yes, they were terrified. Yes, they were a bit sort of not sure what's going on here, Jesus. But actually, they didn't want to come down from there. For them, this was the just they wanted to spend time there. That's the just it seemed incredible. And then, in an instant, just as suddenly as it all began, it is all over. It is finished. And what remains is Jesus and his words. And as they walked down that mountain, the words of Jesus reinforced that the Christian faith is not just about great experiences. It really is a roller coaster ride. I think most of us know that. It really is a roller coaster ride. You know, past experiences, great as they may be, they only tell us what God has done in the past. Yes, they can, they can give us hope for today, but listen, Christ, he is our future. He is our hope. That's where we look. And we need not just to wallow in the past, nor to try and sort of recreate some sort of experience that maybe was was a, a time of real closeness with God. Instead, we need to listen to Jesus, to spend time with him, to walk with him. It's um, George Muller, he wrote these words. He said, he said, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. What I think he meant by that was that we find our joy, our satisfaction in so many things, but listen, they don't give us joy, they don't give us satisfaction. We should find our hope, our joy, our satisfaction in Christ and in Him alone. He goes on, He says, the first thing to be concerned about was not how I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might make my soul into a happy state and how my inner man can be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to the meditation of it. 
Listen, whatever happens in your life, whatever circumstances come against you, one thing will remain, and that is God's Word. That is certain. I've seen this lived out. So year over a year ago since my, my brother lost his, his oldest boy. And during that early days before the funeral and after the funeral, those times of, of grieving, I spent with him. I just watched him. He was broken. Truly broken. And words, words were few. Prayer seemed impossible. But what he would do, he would sometimes lie, sometimes walk with his iPhone playing scriptures, just listening to the Psalms of God's faithfulness, of God's love. Listen, his world was just shattered. His heart just ripped out of him. And yet, all he could do was cling to God's word, to the truth of the unchanging words of Christ. Guys, our hope is in Christ. The one whose finished work on the cross has paid our debts, has made us right before God. That's where we put our hope. In him. In him alone. You see, every mountain has a valley. And every valley has a mountain. That's just the Christian life. Get used to it. And if you are, if you're standing in the valley at the moment and and, and things seem tough and difficult, listen, there is a mountain ahead of you. There are better times to come. You can be sure of that. But listen, if you are on the mountain at the moment and things seem wonderful and life seems great, listen, you spend time in God's word, spend, be filled with his spirit, spend time in prayer because there's a valley that is coming and you're going to need God's strength through that valley. See, our worship, our worship is not dependent on our circumstances. You know that. It must not be. Because as we stand on top of the mountain, as we sing our praises, boy, it feels good. It feels so easy. We just love to be there, and it's just wonderful. But listen, there will be times in the valley and you will worship God with the tears dripping down your cheeks and your heart breaking inside of you, but you will still worship because it's our faith in the unchanging Jesus, in his word that leads us into worship, not your circumstances. It's got to be. If you're just living for experiences from the next high, those valleys will crush you. They will crush you. One of the old hymns I love, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy Lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you know Jesus? 
Have you made that step for yourself to ask him into your life, into your heart? I pray you have. Guys, we need him. We need him alone. He is our hope for the future. He is our hope for today. He's everything. That's just introduction. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, went, were greatly amazed and ran to ran to him to greet him, and he asked them, what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he had a spirit that makes him mute. And when it seized him, it threw him down, and he's foaming and grinding his teeth, and he became rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled over, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this happened to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and Jesus saw that the crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Quick drink. Reason for that in a moment. <laughs> As Jesus comes down the mountain, he is confronted by this bewildering scene. The disciples are just arguing with the religious leaders. Now, they should have known better than this. They, they, you know, they're just, they, they, they've, Jesus only left them for a very short period of time, and they are in real trouble. In fact, it all, came, it all comes out of an attempt of them to try and cast a demon 
out of a boy, and they fail abysmally. So instead, they argue. They just fight with them. And it's certainly really entertaining for the crowd. I guess they quite enjoy it. But they are ignoring a young boy. They're ignoring a father who are in serious, serious need. And I'm pretty sure that Satan is just laughing at them. You know, in many nations... Satan goes on the head-on attack, the head-on approach when it comes to spiritual warfare. But in many countries, and probably the UK is one of those, he, his strategy is quite different. But listen, his, um, his intentions remain exactly the same, to kill, to destroy, to undermine, to take control. And his chief weapons are still plausible, attractive lies. In fact, you just go back to the beginning of scriptures in Genesis chapter 1 and you will see Adam and Eve, Satan comes in the form of a serpent. What does he do? He says to Eve, he says to Eve, he says, Eve, do you, um, God, it's gone in my head, can we um, <laughs> He, come, he comes to Eve and he says, do you, um, blank moment, not to worry. Um, did God, re- thank you Rachel, did God really say, can you really believe God? And this apple, probably wasn't an apple to be fair, but this lump of fruit actually looks really nice, doesn't it? Bet you'd like to taste that. Can you really trust God? Can you? And you know what happens. And listen, Satan still comes in exactly the same way, with exactly the same attractive-looking lies, and he wants to control you. He wants to try and, and trick you. He wants you to take your eyes off Jesus. Listen to me for a moment. You, Satan, can never take your salvation from you. You know that? If you've given your life to Christ, you are secure in him. It tells us that no one and nothing can pluck you out of your father's hand. But listen, Satan will come along and he will lie and he will twist it and he will try and stop you listening to him. And he plays dirty. He plays really dirty because he knows where you're weak. In fact, he's going to attack you in those areas. Those are the areas he's going to come against you. So he's going to attack you and tempt you with the love of money, with sex, with power. Or perhaps he wants to try and just sow things into your, into your mind, into your life of bitterness and pride and division. Right down to worthless arguments just like the disciples. Also, Satan comes and attacks churches and church plants. You know, I thought I knew a little bit about spiritual warfare until I started and got involved in in church planting. 
And I believe that his strategy here is very simple. He wants to destroy communities. He wants to create distrust. He wants to isolate individuals. You know, if I'm honest, there's many a time, particularly after preaching, sometimes before preaching, that I'm, I just want to curl up somewhere in a little ball and just get everybody to go away from me. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. And all that's going through my head is, Keith, you don't need this stuff. Keith, you, you don't want to be there. Keith, you do, I'm supposed to be the church leader, for goodness sake. It's all about. It's not even what I think. It's certainly not what I believe. It certainly doesn't come from God. That's for sure. And I believe this is a subtle demonic attack that will try to isolate off individuals, that will try to take us down, that will try to build, to, to break up community. And we must fight these attacks. We must open our eyes to see the truth of the lies for what they are. And Satan comes and he sows stuff into our heads, impurities. He, sows, he, he, he speaks over your lives and says, you're not good enough or they don't care about you. Guys, these are lies. They're lies. It's not the truth of God. Because the Bible, that is where we turn to God's word. And we look in Corinthians In 2 Corinthians, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. There's the key. Christ. We take captive every thought and we make it obedience to Christ. And Satan wants to try and make you ineffective in your discipleship, in your walk with him. And listen, you have got a responsibility in this as well. We need to take our thoughts captive. We need to to take captive to those things that try and pull us away from the ways of God. We need to spend time in God's word. But listen, if you try to do these things in your own strength doesn't go so well. You tried it? It doesn't always work just as we like it. I think this is exactly where the disciples went wrong. It's very clear that the issue that they are facing here is an issue of faith. And there's a very good chance that the disciples are feeling fairly capable. That They're sort of thinking, actually, you know what, we've, we've had a few recent successes recently, and they are beginning to forget where their power comes from. And they're thinking, we can heal this demonic boy in our own strength. Oh, how mistaken they were. And I'm sure they felt pretty humiliated in the process. And I'm sure they, instead, their failed attempt at exorcism turns into a squabbling match with the religious leaders. Look at me for a moment. Listen, we must Never, 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 never forget our need of Jesus. It's not rocket science. 
But we forget it so easily. We must never forget our need of Jesus Christ. He is everything that you need. Everything that you need. And we must never forget our need of him. It's only through Jesus Christ, only by his spirit, that you can have the victory over these things, over these temptations, over these sins. Only in Christ. Only by his power. Only by his spirit. You need him. You need him. I need him. Murray McShane writes, It is not great talent God blesses, but great likeness to Christ. A holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. Give what you can and seek to be the catalyst that God works through and be amazed. I also love this other quote from... um, a guy called Dr. Dale. He went to see D.L. Moody preach once. D.L. Moody, the great preacher. This is what he said about D.L. Moody. He said, I told Moody, the work was most plainly of God, for I could see no real relation between him and what God had done. (laughs) Bold man, I thought. Moody laughed cheerfully, and he said, he would, sorry, he would be very sorry if it was otherwise. Listen, Jesus Christ is all you need. Your power does not come in your own strength. That tends to fail. It's through Christ. It's by his spirit. It's through him. Keep looking to him. Keep turning to him. There's one, one other aspect to this story that I'm just going to mention here. Have you noticed the different reactions, the different responses within this story? One of the things about trouble, when trouble comes against you, is that trouble tends to bring what's in here out. The Hudson Taylor once taught a lesson, a, a, a spiritual lesson. So what he did, he filled his glass full of water, hence the glass full of water, And as he was preaching, I'm going to love this, and as he was preaching, he began to bang on the table. Excellent. Boy, that's great. (laughs) So he began to bang on the table, and he stopped. Ah, sore. And he he stopped, and he explained. (laughs) He says, you will come against trouble. Remember, what is in you will spill out. What is in you will spill out. So what happens when the pressure is turned up? What happens when the heat is turned on in your life? What comes out? Well, let's first of all look at what happens to the characters in this story. So we've got the scribes. What spills out of their lives? Well, we don't really see it so much in this story, but we've seen it over the last few chapters. What spills out of them is hatred and bitterness and jealousy, and then the crowd. Well, actually, all the crowd really are looking for, all they want is the desire to be entertained. They want a bit of theater in their lives. That's what they're after. They just want to see another miracle. Not so bothered about Jesus. They just want the miracles. And then the disciples. Well, perhaps Jesus' words probably describe this most effectively. And Jesus says, Oh, faithless 
generation. How long am I going to be with you? How long do I bear with you? And what spills out of the disciples is not faith, but faithlessness. So what about you? When someone pushes the right button in your life, when someone winds you up, when when pressures come, when trouble comes into your life, what is it spills out? Is it a Christ-likeness, the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control and and I don't remember anymore? Is that that what comes out of your life? Or is it anger and aggression and bitterness and jealousy and, and hatred? Are you known for your faith or your faithlessness? If you are a Christian, if Christ dwells within you, the Holy Spirit within you, when you get knocked, actually, Christ should spill out. The Holy Spirit should spill out of your life. And so often we are just like the disciples. We try to do things in our own strength, and so often it leads to failure and to futile arguments. But an encounter with Jesus changes us. An encounter with Jesus will change you. So keep looking towards him. Seek after him. Be overwhelmed by him. And be captivated by him. So much so that those arguments and those troubles that once seemed so difficult and so challenging actually in some senses fade into insignificance in the light of Jesus Christ. And also, don't seek after the miracles. Seek after the miracle giver with all of your heart. Seek after God with all of your strength. Give your life surrendered completely over to him. But as I finish, just one final little thing, just one simple lesson at the very end of this story. I think a lesson that we need to learn and to relearn over and over and over again. Question. How much faith did the father need? The answer, not a lot. Not not a huge amount, to be fair. As Jesus comes to him, he says to him, not in these words, do you believe? And And the guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not a huge statement of faith, is it, really? I believe, I think I believe, I'm not sure I believe, actually I don't, um, in fact, I, I think I've got enough faith to believe that Jesus, you can help my unbelief. Not overly impressive, yet it was enough to see his son healed. It's not so much the size of your faith that is important, It's where you place that faith. That's the key. See, even a little faith in the Lord Jesus can work the miracle of freeing us and others from spiritual bondage and oppression. So this afternoon, if you feel that your faith is weak, 
Don't be afraid. Just make sure that you put your faith in the right place, in the strong Son of God. And don't think about how weak you are. Instead, think about how strong Christ is. Trust in his love and his power and ask him to make your faith stronger and put your hope in Christ alone. So I want you to imagine this afternoon that you are a glass that is full. And I wonder this week, what have you poured into your life? Is it God's grace or self-confidence? Is it the Holy Spirit or selfish pride? Is it Jesus' salvation or is it the devil's lies? And then add to that the roller coaster that is life with those ups and downs. And guess what? You're going to spill out. And what you put in, that's what's going to come out. What you put in, that's what's going to come out. And as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, surely He should be pouring out of us. We're filled with God's grace. God's grace will flow out of us. If we're filled with the Word of God, then God's Word is going to flow out of us. Make sure what you put in is from God, from Christ. I don't know about you, but I know that each day I need to pray, Lord, I want you to empty me of my sin, of my pride, of my selfishness. Jesus, I repent. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that every day that I might desire you and you alone, strengthen my faith and keep me asking for more strength. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Without you, I am nothing. And Jesus, today I want to commit my life afresh to you, to walk with you. Can you pray that? Let's stand together. Time is, is pretty well gone, and I think we'll just we'll close just as we, we pray. There's quite a lot in there. We're called to be men and women, young people of faith, to walk by faith. But this is a gift from God. Guys, you don't do this by yourself. You don't do this in your own strength. Truth is, you can't. But in Christ, by his spirit, we have the victory. It was won for us on the cross through his resurrection. 
And as we've said already, that Jesus Christ reigns on heaven. He sits there at the Father's right hand. Listen, he's praying for you right now. He's praying over you right now. He loves you. He loves you. Do you know your need of him? Perhaps this is the f- some of you will be the first time that you need to say, Jesus, I want to give everything to you, to surrender my complete life to you.